we celebrate Christmas because we're celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And you may have heard that uh, it wasn't on December 25th. Uh, I kind of think they don't even know for sure what it, when it was. But if you saw the Christmas star, how many of you have seen that video, uh, little movie, The Christmas Star? And uh, this, um, I forget what he was. Oh, no, that was his hobby. It was his hobby. Um, in the, but his hobby was astronomy. And, I mean, he ended up getting a telescope that would be almost like the ones you see at the plan, uh, planetariums and stuff. It was, it was a big, big thing. And he would he started tracking and going back. You can go back in history and see which was... And the star that they believed was over there was uh, one of the planets. Maybe it was Jupiter or Venus. And he tracked it back, and it was over Jerusalem uh, on December 25th. And he makes a comment saying that people say that that's not the day that Jesus was born. Um, But... He says, well, maybe it isn't the day he was born, but that's the day the star was there. (laughs) Uh, So last week I was talking about the shepherds and the shepherd boys because the sheep, the shepherds that were watching the sheep by night was the boys. And these were boys that would be not only watching the sheep, but they would be particularly watching the lambs because they made, it was their job to keep them from getting hurt because these lambs were being prepared to go to Jerusalem, which was about five and a half miles away, to be slaughtered for sacrifice. And so that was the number one industry in and around Bethlehem. And the number, to share the number one spot of industry was wheat. And that's why Bethlehem had the name House of Bread. Beth means bread, I mean house, and Bethlehem means house of bread. And so we see that on the birth of Jesus Christ, that the Lamb of God that would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and it would be sacrificed, not by the blood of goats and calves and other animals, but by his own blood. He was sacrificed, uh, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And so then he was the bread of life. He says, he he said in uh, John 6 that he was the living manna. And he said the manna that fell in the wilderness for Israel when they were wandering around for 40 years was not live the living manna. He says, he is the living manna. And then he told them, unless you eat my body, which is the living manna, and drink my blood, which is the, the, the wine of the new covenant, you have no uh, life in you. 
And he told them in, in uh, John 6 that. And then he says that the man that fell from heaven was not the living man. I'm the living man. And he says they all left him. And uh, except for the 12. And he said, are you going to go too? And they said, no. And interesting enough, they didn't say, we get it. <laughs> it's what they didn't say. They didn't say, we get you. We know what you mean when you say you're the bread of life. We know what you mean when you say, drink your blood. They didn't say that. They said, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Which means they don't know, they don't know it, but they know one thing. This is life. This is life. And so, <clears throat> what I think is really particularly interesting about both the shepherd boys and you know, I don't know if you, how many of you ever read A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23? Yeah, I, that was about, I'm saying at least 40 years ago that came out. And it was a shepherd who explained Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he was talking about, he says, he leadeth me beside the still waters. That when you saw uh, a shepherd or a sh- uh, under shepherd uh, leading the flock, you know that they were leading them to feed and to drink. And I don't know if you remember, Fran, he says, but if you saw a shepherd boy in the back of the flock driving the flock, they were going to Jerusalem to be slaughtered. And uh, he leadeth me beside the still waters. I remember Bob Mumford once said, the closer they get to Jerusalem, uh, being driven there, the, the more they begin to smell death. And you know, one of the reasons that when God begins to speak to your life about giving your life over to Him and receiving His, but as many as received Him is what was read out of John, uh, the first chapter. As, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believed on his name, that believe on his name. And so, but as many as received him, to them gave he power. And as God begins to draw you, uh, because it involves a death. Being born again involves a death. And a death, burial, and resurrection, that's what Paul said was baptism was all about. Proclaiming your death, burial, and resurrection. So it it involves a death and it involves a resurrection. So, but many of us have been there and have been where God began to draw us and we begin to smell death. And in some cases... It's a mixed feeling. Scares you. In other, in other cases, it's uh, a welcome thing. <laughs> and so the lambs would smell death. But when they were being led uh, to, be, to feed and to be sheltered and cared for and, and given still water, um, that's when they would lead the flock, but they would drive the flock when they were driving them to Jerusalem. Amen. Um, the thing that I 
want to talk about today is not only were the shepherds and the magi, uh, they're called the three wise men, they were three magi, um, came to Jerusalem to worship a baby that had just been born. And uh, they weren't even sure, as far as the Magi was concerned, whether it was the night of the birth, because it probably was not, but it was during the vicinity that, that while they were still in Bethlehem. that And you know, if you remember, Herod said, uh, come and tell me where the Christ child is, and they didn't. And by the word, the word epiphany, the origin of the word epiphany goes back to the three wise men or the three magi because they were warned by an angel not to go back and tell Herod about where the Christ child was born. And that warned by the angel is the word epiphany. They had an, they had an epiphany from God. It would be like, like to a revelation from God to not go back to Herod. And that's where the word epiphany comes from. The word Tiffany, the name Tiffany comes from the word epiphany. And so uh, the name Tiffany actually means to have an encounter with God. And so anyway, that, that's where that comes from. But the interesting thing, one I want to, thing I want to point out is these shepherd boys and these and the Magi and others that had come to worship. And before I forget, I just want to share one other thing. Um, we had a prophet come visit us at our elders' meeting, the last elders' meeting. And he gave, he sent me a package as a gift of each uh, elder would have a, a book that he had written. And I've been reading it, and I found something in it particularly interesting. And I'll tell you what that was in a minute. And uh, uh, Amy taught on this a little while back, uh, not very long ago, about uh, in, in, in regards to the birth of Jesus Christ. Um, and I was talking to Pastor Norm Moran uh, I think it was Monday night or Tuesday night, or both. And uh, Pastor Moran had been over to a church service that had preached about the prophetess, Anna. And if you know your Bible, you know that Anna is, and Jesus said this a couple of times, is that he said from from the time of basically Malachi, the last book of the book of the Old Testament, to the time of Christ, there were 400 years that Israel did not hear from God. That's a long dry spell. And then that 400 years of what's called 400 years of sleep. All right. And it says this. Anna, the prophetess, is the one who breaks the silence, who broke the silence of God. 
God had not heard, or man had not heard prophetically from anyone for 400 years. And then at the birth of Christ, Anna is the prophetess that breaks the silence of 400 years. Think about that. And think about how she was, she didn't, you know, go off to some seminary school or anything like that. We didn't have them, maybe that's why. But she was in the temple. I'm trying to, I've written over and over again. And I think she was in the temple about um, seven, 90, uh, 84 years. And then she's, I believe the, it says that after seven years of, uh, in that culture, you were often uh, dedicated um, to be married when you are a baby. You said, well, my, my, my daughter's going to marry your son or something at such and such a time. And so when she was seven years old, her husband died. You understand her betrothal. betrothal. And so she went into the temple at that time and served in the, not the temple, a synagogue, served in the synagogue for 84 years, fasting and praying. And then Jesus comes before her and she prophesies over Jesus. You think a sacrifice of 84 years in the same place. You think instead of going out all over the world and proclaiming to the world. But what she did was proclaim to the world. And so uh, it also coincides with the very first prophecy after the day of Pentecost or the during the day of Pentecost. When Peter prophesied. He, he re, repeats a prophecy about, um, this comes from Joel, the book of Joel. And he says this, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. So women, you have a pretty big role uh, in God's economy. Amen. So just throw that out there. Um. Back up to the shepherds and the uh, wise men, magi. They came to worship the Christ child, not for what they could get out of him, but for who he was. Um, I've, I've, you've heard me talk about um, how recently, within the last year, uh, year and a half, I've started seeking the Lord in a more serious way. And I kind of was driven to it by circumstances. And I wanted to know the Lord as, as Paul says, I want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. That's in Philippians, the third chapter. And so I've been seeking the Lord, and uh, uh, I just want to say one thing. 
Sometimes we have hidden motives that we're not aware of. Sometimes they're called blind spots. You know, that you do things and you don't really know why you do them. I am maybe have a hidden motive. But I've shared my experiences with the congregation on multiple occasions. And I'll tell you what, if I was, as, as old Texas said, I'll tell you what, you know, that if I, first of all, I am not a good prayer when it comes to praying with somebody. For somebody, maybe. With somebody, not so much. I'm not really all that comfortable doing it in church. Oftentimes, I rehearse what I'm going to pray in church by doing it to the Lord because it's difficult for me to express to the Lord in with somebody else. Now, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your closet, pray to your Father which is in secret. Your Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. And so I'm a, I like the closet. In my case, it's my bed. And uh, I mean, I pray in the office and stuff, but I like to go to lay down in bed, pull the heads up over my, pour the covers up over my head, and pray to God. And uh, I don't want anybody in the room with me. I don't want anybody hearing what I'm saying. I have trouble sharing that with people. So in that regard, I have been accused of being uh, holier than now or, you know, uh, because I've shared the experiences. Well, if the reaction that I have gotten is all I get out of it, I, I wouldn't share it at all because I've not had very many good reactions, responses. I've had more well, for starters, how many of you know that, that 10 good things can be said to you and one bad thing and all you remember is the one bad thing? Well, that's true. That's why prophecy in the New Testament exhorts, edifies, and comforts, it says in 1 Corinthians 14. Exalts, edifies, comfort. Uh, edify and comfort. They're long saying, edify means to build up. Comfort means to comfort you. And to exhort means to lovingly encourage you. And it can be taken as, you know, God telling you something, you know, uh, uh, maybe a correction. But it's lovingly. And, you, you know, one person said it this way. It's like a sandwich. you got to have edifying and comforting and in the middle some some correction, you see. Well, I don't like sharing my experiences. Um, I do it anyways, because that's what I believe you do to teach people. Um, but I've had some mm, unpleasant things said to me about me sharing my experiences. So if I was doing it for recognition... It's a poor investment. Not so good. 
I hope and pray that I do not share with you what I go through for recognition. I hope and pray that I can lead you in that direction as well. And so I have this time that I've been spending with the Lord. And I have been watching the singing that we do. And I've come to believe that we don't believe the singing that we've been doing. Because all the singing is all about, you know, it's like the love of God speak. And it talks about being in the presence of God and hearing God and seeing his face. You know, some of the Psalms, Lord, uh, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs and faints for your courts to be in your presence. Um, a day in your presence is better than thousands elsewhere. Uh, whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord, being with you? I desire nothing on earth. And then when somebody tells you, oh, yeah, you know, that can be done. Any, any of you that are, any believer in here can do it. Um, you just got to believe God's word and then step out, step out in faith. And so, <clears throat> so I, I uh, have some what I call protocols, and they're absolutely in the Bible. So I have to ask this question: If they're not important, why are they in here? You know, why does it say we can come in boldly into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus Christ? If that's not important, why did uh, the, the, the temple people who were serving in the temple have to go through certain uh, rituals, if you would, and those rituals be fulfilled in Christ if there wasn't something important about it? And so it also says having a high priest, we can come in boldly into the presence of God. Not because we are perfect in ourselves, but we are perfect in Him. We are the righteousness of God. You cannot come into a holy God's presence unless you're righteous. And there's only one way to be righteous, is by believing the Scriptures that says, He was made sin with your sin, my sin, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. It says that I am, you and I, Ephesians 2, 7, you and I have been raised with Christ. When he was raised from the dead, we were raised with him and we're seated with him in heavenly places. Do you believe that? You know, I want to, while I'm asking questions, have you ever had an experience with God. I, I know one of the things is we are accused of uh, by our other evangelical brothers that Pentecostals, Charismatics, full gospel people seek experiences. Well, yeah. I want to have an experience with God. And I come in by the blood of Jesus. It comes in, it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. 
You have to humble yourself to come into the holy presence of God. It says to uh, uh, enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. You have to come in praising, thanking God. Humble, it says, on bended knee I come. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I just want to do it now. You know, that's how you get saved, according to Romans, the 10th chapter, is that by confessing that Jesus has been raised from the dead and Jesus is your Lord, you shall be saved. So you come in confessing. He is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And unless the scepter of the king has been extended to you, you better not come into his presence. Good blessing for us that it has been, because it says so in the Bible. The scepter of his kingdom has been extended to us, is the right scepter. And so, unless you come in the right apparel, there's a parable in John John 21, I mean, excuse me, Matthew 21, about a king that threw a wedding and he sent out all to his land invitations and nobody responded. So he said, uh, <laughs> he did some pretty negative things. I'll skip those. He says, go out into the highways and the byways, ask them to come. And they started coming in by the droves. But one guy didn't have a wedding garment on. And he says, sir, friend, how is it that you have no wedding garment? And he says, well, I don't know. And the guy says, throw him out. And you know, you don't come in, into the presence of God unless you have robes of righteousness. And we get robes of righteousness because we have been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You come into his presence. Now here's the thing. Here's the thing that is going to trip me up. <laughs> and that is this. God has much in his word about things like a word like supplications and prayers and seeking God and asking God to help you. Uh, Psalm 116, one of my favorite Psalms, starts off by saying, uh, I love the Lord because he hears my prayers and answers them. That's a beautiful thing. I love the Lord. Because he hears my prayers and answers them. Now, I am going to say, I believe that. That's good. But in my opinion, if you want to go into the presence of a holy God, you come in for one reason, one intention, one goal, at least in the beginning. And it's given to us, Jesus expressed that to us the day after Pentecost Sunday, uh, uh, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the day he went into Jerusalem on a donkey. But he also goes in the next day. And he says this when a Pharisee lawyer says, "What what is the first commandment? And he says, Jesus says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, Mind, body. Now, this is recorded in, uh, uh, in about six places in the Bible, right? And they say a plethora of, of things, and it's like this. 
Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy body, with all thy will, with all thy emotions, with all. Did something happen in the hearing or just my ears? Oh, okay. Are you talking, Lord? (laughs) The soul is the seed of the mind, the intellect. And the emotions. Song of Solomon is written by Solomon as the bridegroom and the Shulamite woman as his bride. You read the Song of Solomon, which is a romantic connection. And like I said, you were, uh, when you got engaged, you were under contract to be married. That was part of the marriage. In other words, you were married when you got engaged in the Bible. Why, why should I? Even in the New Testament, he says, what's this? Mary had the Holy Ghost come upon her and she gets pregnant with child. And so what happens to Mary? Uh, she goes and she, uh, her husband finds out that she's pregnant, having not had sex with her. And so in order to not embarrass her, he wants to put her away privately. Now, they haven't gotten married yet, but they've got engaged, which was he you don't put somebody away unless you're married. So they regarded the engagement time as a period which was inclusive in the marriage. And so, you know, uh, so anyway. I knew I was on a thought there someplace, but I'll get back to it. Just say, oh, what a pity. Senior moment. I've been having more senior hours lately. Probably should not confess that. Uh, I'm having an Ecclesiastes <laughs> 12th chapter experience. <laughs> Word of God. Yeah, some of you know and some of you don't. <laughs> so anyway, whom have I in heaven? Uh, let me see. Let's see. I love the Lord because he hears my prayers and answers them. There's definitely something to that degree that God wants to answer our prayers. But in, excuse me, Matthew 22, where it says, which is the first of all commandments. He answers the Jewish, the Pharisee lawyer by saying, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit, emotions, intellect, with everything that is in you. We shall love God, the first of all commandments. And this is, you know, we talk a lot about purpose. Purpose. Do you have purpose? Do you have purpose in your life? You know, like the book, Purpose Driven Life. I read, read uh, half the book. And it was, it was good. I, I don't have anything against him. I said, but you know, I, and I once heard a testimony by one of my all-time favorite basketball players, uh, Dr. Julius Irving. And they asked him, why are you so successful? And he says, well, I'll tell you, I've known a lot of guys that are really much better ball players than I am that never even get a chance to play in the NFL. I mean, NFL. 
NBA. <laughs> NFL. Uh, I wonder if any basketball players were crossovers, you know. Uh, I know baseball players are. Did you know John Elway has been in our church? He used to play for the Yankees, the Oneon Angers. And that year that he was playing, we had that whole back row taken up. Sometimes it was just a few, it was three, and sometimes it was like the whole back two rows. And he was one of them. He was, he's a Christian, you know. And so anyway, got sidetracked again, Don. Now help me, Lord. So thou shalt love the Lord thy God with everything that is in you. Have, are any of you arrived yet? Have any of you arrived yet? All right. Now there is, there is a part in Ezekiel 44. You have to read this. Starting at the seventh chapter and going through the book of Ezekiel. Because Ezekiel's talking about opening up the temple again or opening up the tabernacle again to have uh, Israel's priests start to work again. And he says, No foreigner that's uncircumcised is going to come into my temple. You know, that was from the Old Testament, that was from the law that he's talking about. And then he says, and the priest, the priest that fell away when Israel was in captivity. I mean, whole nations are in captivity. Israel was a whole nation. And he says, when Israel was in captivity, the priest that fell away and worshiped foreign gods, they can come back into to, and serve the people in the outer courts. They can serve the people, but they cannot come into my inner courts. The ones that were not faithful says cannot come into my inner courts and minister in the Holy Vault, can minister directly to me. And he uses something that he says, me, mine, my, about 10 times. He says, they will not be allowed to come into my table to minister to me. He says, the ones that will be allowed to come into me are the sons of Zadok. Now, Zadok had long been gone, okay? But what it meant was of not even descendants, it of like mind of uh, Zadok. The, one of the most, he was a high priest during the time of Saul, King Saul, through King David, and into King Solomon. All three kings, Zadok was a high priest. And he was faithful and loyal to all three kings, which is absolutely astonishing, because you usually have to pick a side, you know. But he was on the Lord's side, and so he was faithful to all three kings. That was a the most outstanding characteristic of Zadok. He says, the sons of Zadok, the, the, the priests that are like Zadok, the faithful ones, they can come into my table. They can minister to me directly. They can serve me. At my, and it goes over. It says it over and over again. And the, 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 the reason I'm bringing that out is, yes, Jesus said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, body, soul, strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself. He says the second is like, Love thy neighbor as thyself. We can serve God by serving others. You know, Avira, 
for 25 years has been ringing that bell for the Salvation Army, collecting money for the poor and the needy for 25 years. She's loving God with her heart to serve God. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 25. I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was in the hospital and you visited me. He says, when, when have we done that? Inasmuch as you've done it to the least of my brethren, you've done it to me. So there is, a, there is that point, that contact. But there's also a contact as clearly as can be in Ezekiel, the 44th chapter, that there is something with God, with your relationship with God, that cannot be accomplished by serving others. All right? We can love God by serving others, but there's something that cannot be accomplished. And that is what he said. The ones that weren't faithful, they can go and serve the people, but they cannot come in at my table and serve me. So there is something about that. So, if we love the Lord our God, and that's why there's two things. We shall love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, body, soul. That's purpose. That's what Jesus died for. Now, Jack, Dr. J said, why am I uh, such a good ball player? Because I believe God gave me a gift. And I use it for his glory. And that's beautiful. And I love that. That he dedicated his life, uh, uh, the abilities that he had to give God glory. And that is absolutely true. But still, there is a purpose that is greater than that. And if you don't have the first purpose, even the next ones after that is not quite what they could be or should be. What am I saying here? The purpose that God has, the reason God has created you, that you have been born, that you have been reborn into his church. The reason Jesus died for us, what he says, I came to save sinners. That's one of the purpose. He came to save sinners. But the reason he died for us wasn't so that we could get born again, saved, and oh boy, I'm going to heaven when I die. All that is wonderful and sweet. But you see, God saved you for a purpose. God brought new life into you through the birth of Jesus Christ and the resurrection and the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ for multiple purposes. But the first one on the list is to love God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, spirit, emotions, intellect, which you cannot do without Christ. See, that was brought before, as Paul says, just to prove to us we couldn't do it. But you see, when Christ comes into your heart and you're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed. Now, here's the deal. It says the sons of Zadok, the loyal, the faithful ones. And you know what's wonderful about that? If it was just that chapter alone that I took, I would say I would have to be out there in that outer court. Because I haven't been faithful to God all my life. You see, but see, the sons of Zadok, the sons of the faithful one, is what we get 
when we when Christ comes into our life and washes us from our sin, and we become sons of Zadok in it, in as much as we become like Zadok, loyal, faithful in Him. See, Christ washes us. It's like I, I, my daughter, I think, quoted me the other day. Somebody quoted me, and I actually got the quote from uh, uh, Derek Prince and Bob Mumford, and that is. God uh, catches his fish before he cleans them. You know? And so, so after he catches you, he washes you and cleans you and from, from your sins. And that, it, that makes you qualified. See, we were disqualified before. But when Christ comes into your Lord house and becomes your Lord and you confess him to be your Lord, you are now qualified to go into the presence of God. And you are now able to love the Lord thy God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. And that is the first thing on the list. When you go to God, this is, this is me saying it, but I believe it's backed up with scripture, is when I come to God with the intent of being in his holy presence with the intent of knowing God, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, with the intent of, the psalmist says, uh, one, you know, one thing I ask for, that till I see, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to dwell in his house. To uh, The Lord said to me, seek ye my face. Lord, I want to see your face. And I believe that Jesus has qualified me to do that. But here's the thing I'm going to add to it is your intention. See, now I know the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right? But we should draw these intentions from Jesus himself. And you know what our intention, this is your intention. And I believe that if you don't have this intention, it may break down on you. What is the intention? I go into the presence of God. To love him. I don't go in there to get something from him. Although he's good father and likes to give me things. But I go in there to worship him. To thank him, praise him for who he is. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But he that comes to God must First, believe that he is. Many translations say that he exists. And he's a reward of them to diligently seek him. Oh, I hear that word reward. Oh, boy. I'm finally going to get that new 57 Thunderbird I've been wanting. No, no, no. The reward, the reward is him. He is the reward. Just makes sense. He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. What are you seeking? Him. What is the reward? Him. He's the reward. See, once you value God more than anything else, that's when you can... You can be in the presence and say, whom have I in heaven but you, O Lord? And being with you, 
I desire nothing on earth. Because see, he is greater. One day in his presence is better than thousands elsewhere. Multiple thousands. Of us. I would rather spend one day with, in the heaven with God and die than to spend the rest of my life without him. I would rather spend one day with God greater than gold and silver, more precious than rubies and, and, and gems. He is more valuable. If you gain the whole world but lose your soul, what have you gained? When you now, now he, he answers supplications and prayers, but that's not my intention. When I go in, I want to fulfill my purpose. And the purpose God was created me for was to love him. And so I go in there to tell him through the blood, with thanksgiving, humbly, he is God, but he's also my father, he's my daddy. Jesus is my brother, my friend. You know, I, I, I started, I, I, I learned something in, in uh, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The word hallow uh, is, is kind of the same word that for holy or sanctified. But it has a kind of a, it has a double meaning there. When you say, we'll get back to intention. When you say holy or hallowed or hallowed, however you want to say it, be thy name. You're saying that, Lord, you're, you're, you are holy. But I'm saying that I regard you as holy. See, so it says as much about the speaker as it does the hearer. You're saying to God, you are are holy to me. I am sanctified for you. I sanctify myself. Can you sanctify yourself? Well, not without God, but you can't do, you know, God isn't going to do it without you either. Jesus said, I, talking to himself, I have sanctified myself to you, Father, for them, for us. So when you say, hallowed be thy name, you are worshiping God. When the shepherds came, when the wise men came, they came and they worshiped God. They gave him gold, frankincense and myrrh, which represented the wealth of the world. I give to this child, not because of what he was going to do for us, but because of who he is. So I go in the presence of God because I want to worship who he is. He that comes to God must believe that he is Hallelujah. And you can, now, here's one, this may be a deal breaker for you. The word meditate, meliteo, it's the Greek word. There are a number of definitions to it. One of them is to imagine. You know what happens when you worship God? When, you know, like the, the, the uh, casting, not casting crowns. Mercy me. I, I, now, who was that? Mercy me. What, who was that band that's saying? Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. And starts imagining things. Well, see, there's wicked imaginations. When you go start laying down and thinking yourself as Superman. 
you know, or rich. What would I do with millions of dollars? You know the story about the guy who won like $32 million, right? You know that story. He just had a heart surgery and his wife was so concerned about it. So she goes and uh, goes to the pastor and says, you, uh, he, we found out that he, his lottery ticket, he just won $32 million. He doesn't know it yet. Can, you're, you're, you're good with, you know, words and stuff. Can, maybe you could let him down easy so that he won't have a heart attack, you know. He says, sure. He came, he came over and he says, he talked with Joe, a little small talk. And then he says, Joe, he says, I just wondered, what would you do if you suddenly came into $32 million? And he said, well, for starters, pastor, the first thing I'd do is tithe on it. And the pastor had a heart attack and died. <laughs> All the wealth of this world, though, doesn't compare to you. Nothing compares to you, my Lord. I was uh, having a time with the Lord, and it suddenly occurred to me, this is one of my goals. It's impossible. I'll tell you right now, it's impossible. But this is one of my goals. It says in Psalm 139, Thinking verse 17, if I'm not mistaken. Psalm 139 is so beautiful. And he says this, When I think of the thoughts and the sum of your thoughts toward me, they are as number as the sand. All the sand. you know how many trillions of grains of sand there are in, on the beaches of all the world? That's how many thoughts God has toward you alone. How's that possible? Well, he's God. That's how it's possible. And then I realize I don't think about God that much. And I don't mean that much. I don't even, when I say that much, I mean, I don't think about God that much. <laughs> Not the sand, just, but I want to. See, this is what you have to, if, if you are, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to want it. Jesus said, with great desire, I have desired to break bread with you. That was on the Thursday before Friday where he went, when he went to the cross. He's breaking bread with Judas Iscariot. With great desire, knowing that he was going to go to the cross. You have to desire God. You have to want Him. You have to really be hungry for God. You want Him. I want you with all my heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. You have to desire God and hunger for Him. And so you go into the presence of God. And I want to be able to say to God, I have thoughts toward you. Good thoughts. That's what it says. That's what God says in Jeremiah 29, 11. God has good thoughts towards us that to bring us an expected end. So I want to, I want to have thought. I want to have as many thoughts for you as you've, you've had for me. As you, it's possible. 
But I am committed to where I'm thinking about God every minute of every day. I want to do that. And so I, I woke up, uh, I fell asleep, I woke up, and I started uh, singing to the Lord. I, I sing, I, I sing, this is another problem, I sing a lot of secular songs, because some of the secular songs just express how much I love God, or want to love God, or want God. And so I, w- I woke up this uh, woke up from this thing dreaming about God. When I go to sleep like this, I usually dream about God. And so I woke up and I started singing to God. And what I knew of it, I, I to be honest with you, I'm not, sometimes I just know just a little bit of a song. It's a secular song. And I said, hello again. Hello. Hello, my friend. Hello. Did you know God's a friend of yours? Hello, my friend. Hello. I think about you night and day. But it's good to say, hello. Hello, my friend. Hello. I was just singing that to God. Then I found out, I said, I went and Neil Diamond and knew what, I messed up a little bit worse, you know. And then I, I looked up the word hello and it's derived from the word holy. Where you are, when you say hello, you are expressing a salutation of honor and exaltation. And I'm not just talking about answering on the phone. You know, I'm talking about when you say hello. It's kind of like saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hello. Hello. And so the shepherds and the wise men, they sought him for who he was. Let's seek the Lord while he can be found. Seek him while he is near. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. You go into the presence of God saying, I love you. Now this is where that imagination comes in. You imagine the word is true. You imagine being in the presence of God. And I want to tell you something. You're in for a a, a ride, an amazing ride. Let's pray. Hello again, hello. It's good to say hello. I think about you night and day. Lord, I want to think about you all the time. Is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. All things are possible to him that believeth. When you said, fig tree shall be planted up, cast into the sea, mountains shall be cast into the sea, if you believe and not doubt. I want to cast the mountain that is barring my way from being in your holy presence. Not only when I go up into heaven to pray for you, to pray with you, to thank you and worship you and love you, but through my entire life, may your love walk with me, talk with me, so that I can love my neighbor as myself.
I'm not there, Lord. But I want to, I count not myself to have apprehended. But I am apprehended. I count not myself to have apprehended that which I am apprehended for. But I am apprehended by you, arrested by you, led from one prison into another by you. And I'm apprehended to love you with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my body, with all my emotions, with my will, with my intellect, with my thoughts. Oh Lord, I want to think about you day and night. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this time on Christmas time. And may we worship you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Who you are. Not for what we can get out of you, but just because you are. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, God, for loving me. In Jesus' name.